morning, everybody. Uh, you're welcome to church this morning. It's uh, great to have you. Do you think the storm has passed? Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully. Um, but it's good to see you, um, and uh, thank you for coming today, and uh, we pray that God will bless us as we meet together. I'm going to start slightly differently. I'm just going to go through the announcements today, um, and then hand over to Karen here, who's going to lead us through the first uh, part of the service. So you'll see that next um, uh, Sunday, David is uh, speaking to us from Luke chapter 17, um, that is an intriguing passage, and uh, it would be good uh, for you to read it and have a think about it. Um, I have no idea what he's going to be uh, speaking to about that, so I'll look forward to listening to that. Uh, you'll see that I'm away on study leave. Uh, uh, God willing, Karen and Katie and myself are flying to England this evening uh, to, uh, a pas- to a sort of pastoral care conference uh, on counseling and looking at emotions. Uh, so that's part of the course that we're doing. Um, if you have a, a pastoral emergencies, please speak to Stuart um, and or administrator or uh, your elder, um, and then hopefully be back then next Monday. Uh, prayer ministry starts at the uh, is here at the front um, beside the organ. So uh, do come and be prayed for if there's something on your heart. Committee meet uh, on Tuesday at uh, 7:30 p.m. here. Uh, cafe again uh, in its third week, I think, um, going well. So do continue to pray for that. And if you're an international student, you're very welcome to come as well. Um, and all the other announcements really are as before. So it is, it's lovely to have Karen and Ramon with us. Uh, and uh, I was asking Karen what her married name was. So it's Mayorga, something like that. But apparently in, uh, in Mexico and uh, you don't take uh, that. So she's just known as Karen Morgan, which is much easier. So Karen, you're very welcome. And we look forward to you leading us for this first part of the service. Thank you. Good morning. As Sam says, yes, I, I stick with Karen Morgan. But if I were to do it traditionally, the Latino way, it would be Karen Morgan de Mayorga. So I would get both, but <laughs> that's a real mouthful. <laughs> so it's a pleasure to be with you all again this morning. And I guess I just wanted to start by reading from Isaiah 43, verses 16 to 19, which says, I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned, their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candlewick. But forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do, for I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. And I guess one of the things I was thinking about as I was reflecting on this is that at the beginning of a new year, we often start looking for new things, but God is not limited to our new starts. God always has something new that he wants to do. He's always looking to bring creativity, to bring solutions where we don't see them. Um, and it's not about just when we decide that, well, it's the beginning of a new year. We're, we're already halfway through February at this stage. And sometimes we think, well, you know, where's this new start? Where's this new thing? But God is saying, I have new things. I have something that I'm already doing. Open your eyes and see what, you're, what I'm doing in and through you and for you. Um, and I just wanted to have us all really be encouraged by that, but also to open our eyes. We're here this morning to see this God who always has new things for us and to worship him and to ask him what are the new things, to listen to him. If we don't ask him, then he can't show us, he can't tell us. And we won't see it. And then when we hear it, we hear his word, which is what we're here to do. We're here to worship him and to hear his word and then put it into practice. And we'll talk about that in a minute. (laughs) But I would just love us to, to pray and then we'll open in praise. So, Father, thank you. Thank you because you are this God who is creative. Thank you that you are our father. You know us intimately. You created us. You know each one of us, you know our needs, you know what we're facing, you know our discouragements, you know our encouragements, you know what we're enjoying in life, you know what our passions are, and you have a purpose for each one of us. But there's always something new, because you are not limited. And we just pray that as we come to you today, that we would just glorify you, 
that we would still our hearts and be aware that you are here, that we would glorify you through the attitudes of our hearts and our minds and our spirits as we seek to put you first and to hear what you want to say to us today. Thank you for being present. Thank you for being creative. Thank you for bringing your newness into any moment of our lives, that you are not limited to our timing. It's about your timing. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. So I invite you to stand and with the group we're going to sing, be still for the presence of the Lord, and then we are going to glorify this holy Lord. He is holy, holy, holy. Isn't it amazing to think that this glorious trinity loves us? We have no reason to fear, even in the midst of last night's storms. <laughs> um, and worse, because God is this glorious trinity. There's this Father who loves us, who gave his Son, who was prepared to sacrifice himself for us, and who dwells within us by his Holy Spirit. We can have the presence of God in us and with us at all times, in all circumstances, always doing something new. And it helps us by having that presence to be able to hear him, hear what he's saying to us, but then we also have to put it into practice, just like we will see with Joshua today. God had a new strategy for Joshua. We often think, you know, we've heard the story so often, it's like, oh yeah, they walked around and they shouted and they blew trumpets and the walls fell down, of course. But can you imagine Joshua hearing that plan from God at the beginning? Thinking, yes, of course. I'm sure he didn't. <laughs> God brings us new strategies. But we need to hear from him, and then we need to trust him and do it, and not give up. Um, they walked around the walls every day. And like I said, we're kind of partway through February at this stage, and we might, sometimes it's easy for us to give up. But God wants us to keep going, to hear his word, to obey it, and keep going. They had to walk around every day. It wasn't just a one-day thing. It wasn't a two-day thing. And for us, it's a whole lifetime of hearing from him, obeying him, and not giving up because we know he's always with us. And so that's, I'm not, that's not a fresh idea of mine. That's one that our YWAM founders teach all of us. And for those of you who weren't here last week, we work with Youth of the Mission in Mexico, in Monterrey. And one of the lessons that our founders teach us any chance they get is we need to hear God's word, obey it, and not give up. So what is he saying to us today? So let's come before him and ask him to speak into our hearts and our spirits and our minds so that we can really hear from him and then to give us that will to obey him. So join with me. Father, thank you. Thank you for being this creative God who has new strategies that we see in this story of Joshua that we're going to read, that we know, but yet Joshua didn't know what you were going to do. He could only receive the newness from you. And we pray that as we come before you today, that you would speak into our hearts and minds, that you would cleanse our hearts, because we need that purity of spirit to hear from you. We need that purity, that cleansing that only you can give us, so that there are no barriers. And I pray that if there are things that have stopped us coming into your presence or that would interrupt the flow of your communication with us, I pray that you would cleanse our hearts, that you would help us to hear from you with clarity, with precision, and with open hearts, open minds, open spirits to receive, and that you would give us then clear wills to decide to obey, that you would encourage each one of us here, that no matter what we are facing, you are present and you are good, and that your strategies will work, however improbable they might seem to us. You are the one who sees the whole picture. And I pray that you would come and just strengthen us, those who are discouraged, would you bring your encouragement? Those who are struggling, would you give them that strength of resolve to continue obeying? And for those who are, who are feeling weak, may they know that it's in your presence, in your strength, that we are made perfect. That when, it's only when we are weak, it's only when we realize our need of you, that you can fully work within us, that you can fully strengthen us as much as you really want to. Would you come and give us an openness to you? Give us that ability to be persevering, to keep going, to keep trusting in you, because you are always trustworthy. There is no circumstance that is bigger than you. There is no circumstance that will ever be 
big enough to overcome you, you can always overcome. You will always have the right strategies. And I pray that you would open our eyes and our spirits and our hearts today to receive from you, to trust you, to obey you, and to never give up because you have never given up on any one of us. You have always, always loved us. You have always seen the best in us. And you always encourage us to walk towards that best, that best version of us that is closest to the design you always put within us. Thank you because you are the restoring God, the loving, healing God. I pray that you would just be very present with us today in a new way because you are always doing things new. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're going to invite Karen up to hear about the new things that God has been doing with the Caterpillar kids. So. We've been using this slot just to introduce you to the ministries that are in the church. And Caterpillars is our mother and toddler group that meets every Tuesday morning from 10 to 11.30. Now the name Caterpillar Kids may seem strange to many. Uh, But at the end of the year, we give each of our children a certificate like this. And I will just read the words to you. Your time at Caterpillar Kids has come to an end. We're sad you're leaving, our special wee friend. To have known you a short time has been a great pleasure, and we hope that we've given you memories to treasure. Maybe you came here just learning to crawl or able to walk, though sometimes you'd fall. A bit scared at first to move far from your mum until you find courage to join him in fun. It's been wonderful to see over the time that has passed how much you have grown, you're changing so fast. Just like a caterpillar first eats green leaf, then spins a cocoon inside which it sleeps, where amazing things happen and then by and by, out comes the most beautiful butterfly. Getting ready to go, it shakes off its wings, eager to face whatever life springs. Just like the butterfly with wings unfurled, you're ready to leave and explore other worlds. And although we miss you, we know you can't stay. So we wish you the best as you now fly away. Remember you're special. That will always be true. You're so important to God who really loves you. And as you learn, run, eat, sleep, rest and play, may God bless you and watch over you now and always. So as our children come at various stages, for the short time that we have them, we have routine and we seek to um, encourage them in a safe space to develop and support parents or carers wherever they are in their journey in the job that they're doing. And so as well as providing this space on a Tuesday morning with a free cup of coffee um, for the carers, we also throughout the year seek to bring in, we bring in the Order of Malta once a year to do a first aid course to teach parents how to, um, you know, all the first aid issues that they may arise. We've brought in uh, Terry who has taught children how to settle We've brought in Norman Sue Patterson to teach about dental treatment. And so we are putting into their lives um, just various issues in parenting that will help them. But also we are praying for these children. And when we have the opportunity, we speak of our faith and we encourage these parents that their children are special. And this has been a great blessing in our ministry. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Um, and thank you for not standing on my glasses, which managed to fall in the midst of all of that. <laughs> and, and it's wonderful to hear, because that's, again, what God brings is the newness of children who learn new skills. God brings, as well, that transformation from a, a caterpillar to a butterfly. It's the same DNA, but a new version, a, a new transformed version. Um, we're going to read now. We've talked about Joshua, and as obviously we are studying the, the book of Joshua in these last few weeks and the coming weeks. So, hence the glasses. Age catches up with us all. We're going to read today from Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, where we had kind of left off last week. And we're going to go right through chapter 6 to the end, to verse 27, which you can find on page 220 of your Bibles under your seats. Okay. So, it's Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 through to chapter 6, verse 27. And it actually starts just on the previous page, 219. 
Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its kings and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Make seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, make all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up every man straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and make seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people, Advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the Ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the people, Do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once. Then the people returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, Shout! For the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpets sounded, the people shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her, in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, and brothers, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath, Cursed before the Lord is the man who undertakes to rebuild this city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son will he lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest will he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. Amen. We're going to ask Richard to come up, and all the kids, the children, to come up to the front as well, those of you who are not already up here at the front, and Richard is going to talk to you.
Hello, Quilla. Joshua 6, the battle for Jericho. Well, the people who were living in Jericho were the Canaanites. <coughs> and they had set themselves against God. They didn't worship God. And they built tall, strong, uh, big walls to show that they were able to take care of themselves and that they didn't fear anyone. And it's interesting that God brought the Israelites to Jericho. And when, we, when, when Karen first started reading, we find that Joshua has this encounter. The fall of Jericho. Joshua has an encounter with someone who is dressed for battle. And Joshua says, are you for us or against us? And this is where we learn who is fighting the Canaanites in Jericho. The commander says, neither. I am the commander of the Lord's army. It is God who is, who is at war with Jericho. It's not God who's joining the Israelites' battle. It's the Israelites who are joining God's battle. So the commander gives Joshua the battle formation, the battle formation for some of the army in the front, seven priests with seven trumpet horns to follow them, then the Ark of the Covenant where the Ten Commandments are kept, and then the rest of the army is to follow. And what are they to do? Oh, what a battle plan they have. They are to march around the city quietly once and then go back home to their camp. Wrong oh, button. Then the second day, they're to march around the city quietly and go back. What a battle plan. The third day, to march around the city quietly. The fourth day, to march around the city <coughs> quietly and then go back. What must the Canaanites have been thinking up on those tall walls? <coughs> what is this army? What are they doing? They were nervous. They were scared. They were fearful because they had heard about the Israelites. But on the seventh day, on the seventh day, the priests were ready to blow their horns. And this day was different. This day, they would march around once, twice, three times, four times, five times, six times, seven times. Seven times they marched around. And then the priests would give a loud trumpet blast. Woo! And you know that was what, what that was signaling? That was signaling the presence, the arrival of God himself. God himself would bring the walls crashing down. And everybody shouted. Can we all try shouting? One, two, three. Some of you shouted pretty well. Some of you didn't shout very much, but they shouted. They shouted. And it wasn't the shout that brought the walls down. It was God's army that brought the, the walls down. The unseen army, God himself, who was leading the battle. The Lord says to Joshua, shout, for the Lord has given you this city. The people learned that day that it's God who is victorious. Thank you. You did a really good job listening, and now we're going to sing.
Well, great. Thank you, Richard. That's a great message, by the way. We're not going yet, boys and girls. I have one thing I want to do before you leave. Um, but um, isn't it that God is the one who does the battling? And the way he does his battling is in our hearts and forgiving our sin and filling us with the Holy Spirit. That's why we sang, Create in me a clean heart, O God. But it's somebody's birthday. Anybody's birthday in this section? This section? Or this section? No, it's in this section it's somebody's birthday. So it's Chan's birthday. And she's 21 years of age. Today. So happy birthday, Chan. And we are just delighted that it's fallen on a Sunday because we get to celebrate it with you and to say how much we value you and how much we care about all the things that you do for us here in this church. And um, it's just lovely to see you grow. And uh, we want to wish you God's blessing today and for the rest of the, the year, I suppose, and all the different things that you're doing. So let's sing happy birthday to Chan. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Chan. Happy birthday to you. Great. And uh, now you can go, boys and girls. That's great. That's all that's going. Okay, everybody else is going to stay. That's good. Well, we're going to sing um, uh, a hymn that you'll know well, Mine Eyes Have Seen the Glory. And as I was thinking about this, I mean, I know nothing of the history of this. I've heard about the history, and uh, I'll have to think about this again. Um, but it's, to me, it was a missionary hymn. It was a hymn that was saying, there's something powerful about God there's something wonderful about the victory that he brings. And because we are assured of that victory, then we go forward. Um, and I love this little line. It says, he died to make us holy. Let us live that all be free. So it's not selfish. It's not triumphant. It's serving. And that's why we sing this, because we are going to think about God's justice and his salvation and God is marching on. But let's sing it with the joy that we're supposed to. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Great, thank you, Ken and the folks. That's good. If you have your Bibles... Uh, Please open them at this chapter. Um, and thank you, Karen, for leading uh, so very well. I really enjoyed that. It was lovely and fresh and just good to hear a different voice. And uh, thank you for that. <laughs> folks, we have some, uh, we've been producing these for the younger folks, um, the, uh, some notes on uh, the, uh, the outline, basically, as well. They're at the back there. You can take them. Uh, when you're coming in as well. And if you would like to have one, do take one, um, write some notes and, and think about the things that we're going to be talking about um, as well. So, um, so yeah, I want to talk to you about justice and love. So I recently had a conversation with someone who didn't believe in God at all. And they said to me in the course of the conversation that they didn't have any hope after death. And my response was to try and talk to them, well, I did talk to them, of the resurrection of Jesus. Point, 
pointing out the clear evidence for it. And that the resurrection points to the reality of God's justice. Because Peter, when he was speaking to a God-fearer named Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, links resurrection with the coming judgment. And Jesus is the one whom God has appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And he has proven that, says Paul, by raising him from the dead. So going back to our conversation, just pushing it a little further, I suppose I was trying to explore what they meant by having no hope. And really what they hope is that when they die, there's nothing. They just return to the dust, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. And so the atheist is comforted by the nothingness they expect. But for those of us, of course, who believe in the resurrection of Jesus, we also believe in the judgment of God. That's what I said to them. And the response was, I'm surprised that you believe in judgment. And there ended the conversation. Folks, I am conscious that as I speak to you about this subject of the justice of God and the final judgment, that it's a difficult one. To speak of God's justice and judgment makes us all uncomfortable. And we do so, of course, with a heart-breaking compassion. And we do so face-to-face with the hope of resurrection, of grace and mercy to offer in Christ. So the first thing that struck me about this, and Richard, I think we must have been on the same website, um, you know, so there you go, yeah, we, and we didn't coordinate this, and I'm really thankful to Richard for telling the story, because I'm not going to tell the story. You know, when we hear an ambulance siren, we give it priority, because within, of course, we believe that there's a sick patient that needs treatment. When we see a fire engine outside a smoked-damaged house, we're concerned that everyone got out. And if you were listening carefully, you'll you'll know that 14 times in this passage is the mention of the blowing of trumpets. And I want you to see that the trumpets are a warning. They're a warning that God is coming and that he's coming in finality and that he's coming in judgment. The people of Jericho heard the trumpet blast each day. And then, as Richard said, silence. And it scared them. And as the story builds, so the pressure builds. And on the seventh day, seven trumpets and seven circuits and a loud shout and the walls fall from the activity of God bringing pressure on them. If you look in verse 5, actually, what it actually says literally is that the walls fell under themselves. In other words, it wasn't because of the shouting, as Richard said. It wasn't because of the trumpets. It was because God did this. It wasn't an earthquake. And Rahab's house, miraculously, in the walls, still stands. So if you take that picture, and then you go forward in your Bibles to Revelation 8 and 9, you have six trumpets, warning of disasters to come on the earth with the seventh trumpet in chapter 11. And with that seventh trumpet, there are loud voices in heaven declaring victory, God's victory. And that's what this is a picture of. That's what we're beginning to see. That's the reality of where God wants us to go with this. The sequence in Jericho of the daily blowing of the trumpet and the march around the walls with the Ark of the Covenant is clear. For the people of Jericho, God is coming. And so we have to see here that God clearly and persistently warns the world there will be justice and there will be judgment. In Noah's day, he did it with the building of a boat and and the lifetime of preaching for Noah. 
And in Jesus' day, he spoke of judgment clearly when there were atrocities and disasters that occurred to people. He spoke of them as warnings to the world in general and the need for all to repent. Luke chapter 13, for example, or those 18 who died in the Tower of Siloam when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Jesus said that. So the reality is, folks, that we're warned. We're warned of the judgment to come through the word of God and the preaching of the gospel and through the careful observation of events that happen every day around us. I heard, I saw lightning this morning, I think at three o'clock, and then a loud bang of thunder and sheets of rain. The storm is a warning that the world is not as it's meant to be. Dan Strange in his book Unplugged, which I'm reading at the moment, along with Katie and David, says, list disaster, disease, dishonesty, and death as things that remind us that this world is not as it's meant to be. And in the, whenever I was preparing for a recent funeral service, I again struck by Psalm 90, and it makes a lot of sense to me now more and more, and I know it's not easy to speak about. But the psalmist basically tells us that the harsh realities of life the difficulties that we face, and particularly death, and its suddenness. Seven, that's where you get the 70 years and 80 if you have the strength verse. And what does he say? They teach us about the anger of God, and they teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You see, sadly, many in the world are like the people of Jericho. They're hunkered down behind the walls. They're afraid of their food. They're afraid of the coronavirus. They're afraid of climate change and storms and illness and death. And yet they do not fully appreciate the danger that they're in from the judgment of God, despite the faithful witness of the church and the signs they see every day. There are many warnings that God gives of judgment. And that's the reality. And that's what we have to deal with. So the second thing that really struck me about this is that we would say, God, that's not fair. I always think of this, by the way, because when I was a student, um, that's uh, in the 80s, um, there was a book published then by a guy called Dick Dowsett, and it was called God, That's Not Fair. I bought that book, I read that book, and it was an argument really for the justice of God. Why is it not fair? Well, we read the verses from 17 to 21. And if you want to quickly flick through, the, through those again, you'll see this whole idea of the devoted things. And the reality that everything is given over to God to do with as he pleases. And when you read the, the passage carefully, you'll see that Joshua and the Israelite army destroyed by fire and death every living thing. Reading verse 21 is extremely sobering. That's tough, isn't it? I don't want to deny that. And we find it hard to understand and we find it hard to defend it. And the Bible speaks about this, and here are some thoughts given with an appreciation of the seriousness of the issue and compassion. If you've got your Bibles there, if you look in verse 17, you'll see the word devoted, which is the Hebrew word harim. And if you look down at the bottom, you see that it says that it's an irrevocable giving over of things or persons to the Lord, often by totally destroying them. And irrevocable, by the way, for those who don't know, means set, not able to be changed. It's just determined. It's going to happen. And the question is, if that is true, why would God do that? And is it just? That's the question that I want us to look at. I don't know if I've got a slide for this. I think I have. The first thing I want to say is that God is creator. If you want to answer this and understand why God does what he does, you need to understand this. Because in it we are assuming that we are the pot and that he is the potter. We are, we are humbling ourselves 
under the fact that we do not have the capacity to fully know everything or fully know why, but as the creator of all things, he has the right to do as he pleases in keeping with his character of love and righteousness. And that whole idea is unpacked in Romans chapter 9. And it's Paul who uses this analogy of the potter and the clay pot. Really, he's saying the potter has the right to do with the pot as he see fits. I think we know that, even though we might sort of react a little bit about it. And when you read the whole of the Old Testament and you read into the New Testament, you will see that God does what he determines. It's a very strong thought in the Bible and is given different names, of course. So that's the first idea that God is creator and he does what he thinks is right. Secondly, God is just. God sees everything and he knows everything. And when he looked at the Canaanite people, he saw their sin. In fact, he saw their sin 400 years before this when he talked to Abraham in Genesis 15 and verse 16. He said, by the way, the Canaanites are sinful, but their sin has not reached its full measure, and I'm being patient with them. In Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 5, he said to the people, it wasn't because they were righteous and the Canaanites were, you know, that they were more righteous than anybody else. It was because the Canaanites had sinned. It's not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you're going to take possession of their land, but on the count of their wickedness to these nations. Folks, the Canaanites are the folks who worshipped Baal, Dagon, Molech, Asherah. And these gods' personalities were characterized by war, violence, and sex. And sadly, their followers murdered these personalities and practices. If you want a list of the things the Canaanite did, you can read Leviticus chapter 18 and also Deuteronomy 18. And in that, God lists all the sexual practices the Israelites are to avoid because these are the things that the Canaanites are doing. They're too awful to mention. And ultimately, they sacrificed human beings, particularly children, as part of their worship. This was a violent, sexually depraved nation who God had been watching for over 400 years. So God is just. It is a settled, patient, clear justice. I know there's many illustrations of this. Even I was just thinking about this this morning. I mean, in Thailand, I think this morning, somebody in the Thai military got a gun um, and began to shoot people. And I don't know how many people he has shot. But then the Thai military authority shot him. And none of us are really, none of us think that's wrong. I don't think we do. We think that's just. That's what we're saying here. That's what we believe here, is that when people who are created by God, when God loves them patiently, when he gives them many opportunities, but they time after time after time say, I hate you, God. I want nothing to do with you. And I will live my own life the way that I want to live. God gives them 50, 60, 70, 80 years. Then he will be just to them. That's what the Bible teaches us. God is just. Justice will be done. Thirdly, people are culpable or blameworthy. I put blameworthy in there because I wasn't quite sure if folks who didn't have English as their first language would really understand the word culpable. That's, you see a little baby being offered to the god Molech there. That's a, a picture from um, history. This is Paul's argument in Romans chapter 1, and we must look at the testimony of Rahab, don't we? If you go back in your Bibles to chapter 2 and verse 8, what you need to do is see that Rahab saw exactly what the Canaanites saw. She was a Canaanite. And when she brings the spies in at the night, she says, I know that the Lord has given this land to you. 
and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, and that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how you have dried up the water of the Red Sea. For you, when they came out of Egypt, and what you did to Shion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed, we have heard of it, and our hearts sank, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. The point to really drive home here, folks, is that Rahab saw everything that the people who are in the Canaanite walls saw. They heard everything that, that Rahab saw, but they refused to believe. They were culpable. They were blameworthy. They were without excuse. And as I say that, folks, I want you to be aware that this idea has two sides of the coin. This is one reality of two perspectives. And it would be simply wrong of me to speak of God as being just. You cannot speak of God being just alone. You have to speak of God simultaneously as a God of love. God is love. And in fact, love dominates his actions. Therefore, in any discussion of the idea of God's judgment and justice, we need to be clear that love is present. How so? That's where we come to the next uh, part as well, that God is love. And we must hold that with that. We see that love, of course, in the salvation of Rahab. If you read your Bible there, you'll see that Rahab was spared because she had faith in God and her actions were proof of her faith. She's not saved because of her good works. No one is. She and her family were saved alive. That's what it literally means, that word spared, saved alive. By the mercy and grace of God. And God is full of grace and mercy, and he wants no one to perish, and anyone who repents and believes will be saved. One of the pictures that's in my mind, uh, Karen and I were at a wedding. Uh, Sarah, who used to stay with us in the, the manse for a while, was married yesterday to Keith. And we were up in Willowfield Parish in Belfast and celebrating her wedding with her. Um, so one of the pictures that you need to have in your mind, I think, or, or I'm going to share with you, is as God is a husband. And his people, sadly, are unfaithful and an adulterous wife at times. We, I've just been reading the prophet Hosea. He married a woman called Gomer who was unfaithful many times to him, who had many affairs. And each time God told Hosea to have her back. This is a picture of God's love because though jealously angry about what happened, he refuses to carry out the deserved punishment on Gomer and by implication on Israel. And if you read that prophecy carefully, you will hear these words, rejected, punished, disgraced, abused, because Gomer was actually abused by her lovers, unwanted, anger, destroyed, slain. Because they're pictures of judgment. But that judgment was not visited on Gomer ultimately. It was placed upon the person of Jesus Christ. And he took all of that justice and punishment For our sake, it is the most incredibly loving action imaginable. Mercy is offered. It is absolutely staggering. It is undeserved. It is unmerited. It is freeing. In God's justice laid on Jesus, the innocent are spared. They're saved to life. And they're brought out of destruction as Rahab was. And I love that little verse. If you look in verse 23, I I did have a question about this. Why, you know, they brought her, her entire family out and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. But if you can see the journey, she's saved from destruction. She's brought to outside the camp of Israel. And God continues that good work in her life. And as we know, she's brought into the family of God. And each Christmas we read about her, don't we, in the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5. 
where she became ultimately part of the lineage of the birth of Jesus Christ himself. Folks, we must never, ever just think of God as just alone. We have to see his justice on the cross. And we have to understand that he is both just and loving at the same time. But what dominates is not justice, but love. That is why he described himself as a God of love. You see, God is creator and he does what he pleases. God is just and his anger at our sin is pure. We are blameworthy with the evidence that we have, been, that we have both been given and seen and heard. But God in his love punishes his own son so that we do not have to be. He satisfies both his justice and his love. And love wins. That's the truth of the gospel. That is what we believe. So what does that mean for us today? And I'm going to skip through this because you've listened well and there's a lot going on, but let me just quickly go through these. I mean, these are for discussion, really. Folks, we do not, we, we, we battle not with, not with, as it were, the realities of the world out there. We are not to take swords and go and fight against something that is evil out there. Where we battle is in our hearts, as we've been saying. Colossians chapter 3, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sinful sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. So our, our battleground, folks, is in our own hearts. We don't battle with the world. We battle with our own hearts. Secondly, we don't battle with the weapons that the world uses. We battle with spiritual weapons. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretension. Thirdly, not on earth but in the heavenlies. That's what this whole Ephesians 6 thing is about. Um, again, I'm trying to take this out of the reality of where we live and work into the reality that our battle is primarily in heaven and with the strategies that Karen was talking about. That's right. God has these different strategies. The strategies are not ours. It's not about letter writing. It's not about political persuasion per se. It's not directly those things. This is what it's about, and this is what I want you to remember. It is with love and prayer. Matthew 5, 43 says, you have, heard, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. David, um, um, uh, yeah, I've forgotten his name, but the, the commentary that I had had a little uh, caption that said, uh, David Jackman, not jihad, but Jesus. Not jihad, but Jesus. And I suppose what I want to leave you with is a picture, folks. If whatever issue you are facing, be it an, an unjust employer, be it sickness or illness, be it uh, political instability, be it a government that hates you, we do not fight them. And we do not fight them, as it were, politically and that. That's not what the church does. The church humbles itself before God, as Joshua humbled himself before the commander of the Lord's army. And the church prays. And the church loves. And the church seeks justice. It does. The church wants justice, it seeks justice, but it does it through prayer, by serving, and by love. And when we do it any other way, as we are so prone to do, then we do not do what Jesus commands us to do. We will sing in a moment, O church, arise and put your armor on. 
hear the call of Christ our captain. An army bold whose battle cry is love reaching out to those in darkness. Folks, this is a sobering message. But it's a hopeful message. Because we battle the same sin and evil in the world in the name of Jesus Christ. And we do it with the words of the gospel and the power of love and through prayer. And that is what God, I believe, is calling us to. That is the new idea, as it were. That is the new strategy that Karen was talking about. And that has really gripped my heart this week. And I pray that we will think it through. And that as the elders and ourselves, as we think further in this, that we will understand what God wants us to do. We pray in his name. Amen. Folks, let's worship him as we give our offering to him and sing in his time. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you to you for sending the rain to the east coast of Australia. What a blessing that has been to the folks there. We continue to pray that the fires would continue to be extinguished and that the habitat would recover. And Father, we want to pray as we remember Australia, the work for the work of Kath Reed in Orange Presbyterian. We thank you for the work that she does among the young people there. And we pray for her program of events, that it will, they will learn of you, that you will open their minds, that they will trust you and serve you. And we particularly pray for her plans for a youth weekend, that that will go well, and that you will bless that ministry, and the ministry of Robert uh, and Pamela, uh, the minister and his wife in that congregation. Father, we want to thank you, too, for the freedom that we have to vote we thank you for our democracy. And Father, we want to pray for the forming of a government here in Ireland. And as we have already heard, it's going to be a difficult call. We pray for wisdom. And we pray that the folks who are elected will think of the country. And Father, that they will not focus primarily on personal ambition. And Father, as that is going on, we want to pray for our civil service. We thank you for them, and we thank you for the good work that they do. We pray that they will be able to continue their work with honesty and with integrity and with diligence. And Father, your book of wisdom says there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can be conceived against the Lord. And Father, we pray that your will would be done for us here in Ireland. Father, we thank you for the work of the Wycliffe Bible translators. And Father, we thank you that we live in a world that is so big and diverse and that the Lordship of Jesus is occurring in every part of the world. And so, Father, we pray for the folks in Burkina Faso in Africa and for the Ninkari people. And Father, we're delighted to hear that the Old Testament is being translated into their language. Father, we pray that as they hear the story of Joshua, that they will learn about how great a God that you are. And we pray for the team working on this translation. And Father, we pray for the receptivity of the hearts of the people, that they would be open to all that you have in store for them. And Father, of course, we pray for Alfred. And thank you for the work that he does in the office in Belfast in terms of communication and uh, just inspiring us with the story. So we pray for Alfred, we pray for Ruth and for their family. And Father, we pray that you will indeed teach us to number our days aright. Father, we are saddened as a nation by the death of our popular and gifted, competent newsreader, Keelan Shanley. Father, we pray for her husband and her children her family, her colleagues, and her friends. We pray that they will be helped and comforted. And Father, we do pray that they will come to a knowledge of Jesus, of his great love for them, and of his desire that he would be their Savior, their Lord, 
and their friend. And Father, all of us live in a world that changes quickly, that doesn't seem to honor you, that tends to ignore your ways. And Father, we pray that through the storms and through death, that, Father, that they would be taught, and as we would be taught, that we're not in control, that judgment is part of life, and that, Father, that there is an answer to it in Christ. Father, we pray that they will choose wisdom and the Word of God, that they will choose love and righteousness, and that they will look to Jesus themselves. And, Father, we pray for all of us who feel that we are weak, that we may be sick or sad or struggling or wrestling with sin. And Father, we pray that we might be open with one another in this family of God, that we will be a family of helpers and encouragers and comforters. And that, Father, that we will be people who pray for one another, are concerned for one another, and bring the battle to the Lord of hosts, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, I think the words of this hymn are fantastic, and uh, it's a great tune as well. So let's stand and sing with confidence. O church, arise and put your armor on. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.